Thank you, Steve Newton, for that music at the Music Guild. Today is Friday, November 3rd. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. We are blessed with a champion in our presence today. Today we welcome Will Lawrence Grant. How are you doing today, Will? Great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Will owns a pizzeria here in Bainbridge Island. It's been here since 1984, correct? Yes, sir. This is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, restaurant establishment on Bainbridge Island. And you just recently came back from a pizza competition in Atlantic City as a big winner. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your experience coming up as a chef and what inspired you to get into food. I'm very interested in food and, and health and being a foodie and Fancy pants, stuff like that. Um, what's your first experience um, in the kitchen? Um, first experience for me in the kitchen, you know, started with uh, my family, with my grandmother, who was uh, a Norwegian lady that, uh, being a, a stay-at-home wife, she spent a lot of time in cooking schools in England and uh, across Florida and California. So as a young child, I'd go visit her house and it wouldn't be just, you know, here's pancakes, here's pancakes, here's waffles, you know, it's just here's eggs benedict. I, I remember just being about three or four, just feeling obligated. I'd eat all this food and just to impress my grandma, but she was just trying to impress me. But it, it was, uh, it started there with her, my grandma Betty. She, she was a great gal and uh, really instilled a lot of that uh, love of food early on. And then my parents opening up our restaurant when I was six, just a few years later, that really, uh, uh, gave me kind of something to follow along. And, you know, being that young, you really don't understand food and the love for food and stuff like that. It wasn't until I got a little bit older that I really got passionate about it and really got involved with the restaurants that my parents had. Do you remember the first thing you cooked for yourself, by yourself? First thing for myself, by myself, I think was, uh, we, we always did fruit salads. My family was always big about you know, making our dinners and we had a routine of different dinners. And my first one was a fruit salad. And then from there, I went to uh, rice puddings. When we do our uh, teriyaki chicken night, I'd always use the leftover rice and make into rice pudding. And uh, yeah, then it was straight to pizza pretty much after that. <laughs> straight to pizza. <laughs> yeah. I kind of find it funny that uh, the English have cooking schools because I don't think of uh, English people as having the, the best culinary uh, food out there. Not at all. But, you know, even uh, it's uh, something that's it's been established for a long time. And 
and I, I definitely was blessed that my parents had restaurants when I was so young. I was raised different than most of my friends were. You know, In America, the culture really isn't about doing what your parents do and being passionate about that. When you go to Europe and you go to Italy, most families are generations of bakers, generations of roofers, generations of you know restaurant owners. So for me to be able to be in the business from such an early age, from six years on, watching how my parents were doing things and how they were learning it. Then at the same time, because I was such a wild little kid, they put me to work in the restaurants to keep me busy. Then I got to watch all the employees and really, you know, see how they were doing their different aspect of things as well. And then that's really how I got a lot of my training as I was, like I said, a wild kid, had to stay busy. And we had uh, just uh, opened up one of our uh, first restaurants. Uh, that's a, some Italian on the island, and we were in the process of opening up our second one. And we had a, a master chef, Antonio Mancuso, and uh, he really liked me and liked my enthusiasm for cooking. So he took me on as an apprentice. And so with him, and it ended up being four other chefs, I, uh, I apprenticed under them. And uh, it's very, it's the classic style of learning how to cook. It's a lot different than these days. Someone goes to school, spends you know a quarter or two, and they're a chef, and they come out, and you know, and they, you know, I don't. I, I don't want to talk bad about that. It's, you know, people, you know, learn some great skills there. And, uh, but for me, it was a lot different. I was 12 years old. I spent a year washing dishes. I was 13. I spent a year cutting herbs. And I was 14. I learned how to prep foods and make doughs. When I was 15. I started working the make line, working the evening shifts. And, you know, at that point I was 15 years old and that's just some Italian on Bainbridge Island, uh, the boss of 30 and 40 year old guys working in there. It was, uh, it's definitely a very unique experience, and uh, I'm really appreciative of that because it's really a big part of who I am as a chef, and it's uh, it, it's something you really don't hear about anymore. One, someone being in the family business, and two, so young, being able to be involved in something like this. So it's uh, it's been a great experience. It lends itself to a good work ethic for anyone. I think there's a lack of jobs for kids now. There's not the traditional paper route. Uh, there's so many extracurricular activities not just sports, but STEM and academics and stuff like that, that the kids don't really get hands-on working experience. Uh, maybe they wash dishes for a week and then they give it up for some after-school club and that work ethic just isn't there. So I can totally appreciate that. Do you have any Kitchen Confidential type stories from when you were young, a little Anthony Bourdain stuff going on there that you weren't supposed to see in the back room? Well, you know, I, I don't think your podcast is long enough for what I've seen in these restaurants because <laughs> it, it's been my whole life. I mean, I remember at 24, I thought, you know, gosh, I don't want to cook anymore. I want to do something different. But, you know, at 24, I couldn't make as much money as what I was doing in the kitchen anywhere else, so I stuck with it. But, yeah, no, the the antics, uh, hot sauce was a uh, was a – was a big one with my uh, our family, uh, a friend and partner in a lot of our restaurants. Uh, he used to, I won't say his name just so I don't get him in trouble, but he knows who he is. He loves hot sauces, loves getting people the hot sauces. So uh, he used to try to spike everyone's food every once. So, of course, people he knew and it was safe. He would he'd do a little hot sauce here and there. And uh, I think the funniest time, because he was so notorious for it, he was putting some of this hot powder over someone's food. And, the, and it was a summer day and the wind actually blew the, the the powder in, in his into his face and it was a it was it was a long shift for him after at that day and that's you know the millions of stories I have I, I think probably the funniest one for me was kind of my introduction to the whole sourdough starter and what we do there it, I've my family's been the caretaker of this 120 year old sourdough starter and it's uh, 
you know, it's it's. Yes, it's tell it's, us a little bit about sourdoughs and and how that originated and. Uh... Well, sourdoughs came to the Pacific Northwest through the uh, Klondike Gold Rush. I think it was in 1887, is when uh, gold was struck up in uh, in Alaska and obviously in Canada is where the Klondike is. So a part of people being able to go there in the initial part was people were dying left and right because it's, you know, negative 20, negative 60 degrees. People were dying in the winter up there. So a part of getting a permit to come to Canada and mine for gold, you had to bring a year's worth of food with you. And they found that the, the best way to make breads was with sourdough starters. And you have to remember back then there was no yeast you could buy in stores. The only way to make naturally leavened bread was to naturally leaven it with a sourdough starter. So is that like the original peasant bread at that well, point? Well, all bread it comes really from sourdough. And it wasn't until World War I that yeasts were commercially made. So it's amazing that we've, you know, as far as the world's come with all the foods and stuff like that, we kind of go back to the simpler stages of sourdough and of kombucha and that kind of fermentation like that, which makes Gut amazing products a lot more digestible stuff. and usable. But so the Klondike Gold Rush, you had to bring a year's worth of food, and these guys would wear their sourdough starters and necklaces and jars, and they would actually sleep with them to make sure they wouldn't die because the idea was – and it wasn't really more to die. It was to keep it active. An active starter is, you know, it's a culture through the flower and the water that is alive. And every time you use it, you add to it. So that way it's the same culture. So for over 34 years, we've been using – at that point, it was at least 90. It could have been over 100 years old at that point, the sourdough starter to make our pizzas. And we'd, every time we'd make some, we'd add more flour. Flour and water, flour and water every time. We make a batch of dough, we add more. And the key is is that about 12 hours after adding that flour and water, it, it starts bubbling and gives off the natural gases. It's doing the natural fermentation. And then it replicates itself? Exactly. It replicates itself. And then from there, you can make different breads. You can make uh, uh, sourdough fritters. You can make sourdough pancakes. You can make sourdough breads. And For us, we're not as traditional with the pizza the way we've done it, but, you know, it's kind of fun that we're a non-traditional way with one of the oldest sourdough starters in the nation. So it's. Uh, do many other pizzerias use sourdough crust? They some do, but not really as much. Not as an, obviously an old starter. We definitely, for sure, we have the oldest sourdough starter in a pizzeria in the world. There's no one that has one as old as ours in a pizzeria. There's bakeries. I know Boudin's Bakery down in San Francisco. Theirs is 130 years old, but we're right behind them. But at the same time, we don't know. How how old are is? We know it's at least 120 years old. It could be older. So, do you know why sourdough is um, associated with San Francisco so much? Because of the Klondike Gold Rush. Even the 49ers uh, mascot is a miner, and uh, Miner Sam, I think, or something like that is his name. But it's it uh, when people came across the country through trains, they came. You know, for the gold rush, they came from the East Coast and the Midwest on these trains, ended up in California, then Alaska, then Seattle, and then Alaska and Canada. So that's the way it kind of came up through there, and that's why the culture of it is there. And that's really they've kind of harnessed that with their waterfront and their you know downtown society with the miner and all that good stuff. I don't know if this is a true statement, but it's not the first time I've said something untrue. Um, <laughs> Is sourdough bread the healthiest bread you can eat because of the fermentation well, process? Absolutely, it is. It's more digestible. When you That's deal the with the more, the more you ferment a bread, the more naturally it's feeding on the starches and making it more digestible. When I went to uh, uh, my pizza school, my, I call it my pizza master's degree, where I became a registered pizziolo in Italy and America last July with Tony Gemignani. And a, the big part of that was learning about the, you know, the, uh, the wheat 
and the enzymes and and how really you can make a more digestible bread, which makes an easier bread. You know, you don't want to sit and after a lot of places you go eat pizza, you you eat it and you have just this kind of this big kind of gut know, bomb. Gut bomb. It's hard to digest. You sit and you just kind of you don't feel well. Well, with our pizza and other styles of pizza, it's a lot more digestible because we let you know our pizza ferments or the dough. When we make it, we let it ferment during the process, 10 minutes just sitting before we add salt and oil. And then on top of that, after it's made and balled up, we let it ferment for 42 to 72 hours, or 48 to 72 hours. So up to three days, huh? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. And that's, that's when, in my eyes, that's when it's, uh, it's ready to go. Is that in a refrigerator? Or? It's refrigerated, yes. Gotcha. I don't know the whole process. I buy my crust pre-made. <laughs> you ever tried a cauliflower pizza? I have not tried one yet. I'm a, I'm a sourdough guy. It's hard for me to try anything but sourdough pizza. Nice. <laughs> what was the first pizza you made? The first pizza I made was a cheese pizza. It was, uh, it was you know, growing up in the pizza industry before we even, you know, be, before I became an apprentice at the Italian restaurant, we had, the, you know, the pizzeria in Kingston, we had a pizzeria on Bainbridge Island, and uh, like I said, as a wild kid, had to be kept busy, so I was making pizzas, so I was, yeah, seven, eight years old making pizzas in the pizzeria. So, so that's the some Italian, was originally on Bainbridge Island? Yes, where the then... Four Swallows was located. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then there, you, know. you moved out? So... When and why? And... We opened in... 84 in Kingston. A month later, we opened in Bainbridge Island, in the location we're still at. We've been there for almost 34 years now. And then I think it was six years later, we opened a location here on Bainbridge Island where the Four Swallows is. And before us, it was us, it was actually called the Cherry Tree because there used to be a giant cherry tree in the back area. And it, actually, when I was a kid there, it was kind of neat. The, uh, where the pavilion is now, that used to be a packing center. And that's where they used to on and offload all the strawberries from Bainbridge Island because that's what oh. Bainbridge was known for yeah. was the strawberries. So how, how did it wind up in Polsbo? Um, well, we had uh, we opened up the restaurant on Bainbridge Island, and it did real well. So uh, my my parents and their, their newer business partner, Tom Pelland, and Lee and Marty Grant and uh, Tom Pelland, decided to open up a place in Polsbo. Actually, no, it was the other way around. I was, it was I was so young. It was so long ago. It's hard for you to you know. My my mom or Tom can help out with that. But uh, the, I think my parents actually initially started. I think Tom was our bartender, and he worked into partnership with us there. And he because he was really the face of that's some Italian on the island. Then we thought it did so well. We opened up the one in Paulsbo, and then we did a little wine shop next door also. I think it was. Uh, it's still heavy into wine there, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. At first, it was two different businesses, and then it was merged together. And uh, we had sold the one on the island. It was because uh, we had a bar there. It was, you know, and back then the island was a lot different than it is now. A little more rowdy. It was a lot more. Uh, the community was a lot more fishermen and a little kind of little uh, little rougher around the edges than what you see today. So I, I, we had closed down the bar and restaurant. And uh, Tom, you know, came up and just really shined up there with us there. We, you know, really got into doing wine tastings. And really it was, uh, you know, we were, I remember being a young kid and working, being an apprentice there in that kitchen, just, you know, the two-hour waits to get in, the lines around the block. It was just 
always a fun experience and so fast paced and just how good they were the customers and really gave me a lot to look up to and really uh, appreciate my you know my mom always did the paperwork and do so good with the numbers you know and it's, it's such a big part of restaurants if That's you don't important. watch those numbers you don't watch your prime costs you know margins it doesn't matter how good your food is it's uh you know it, you know the margins are what it's all about you're not making money and tom was so amazing with the uh, with the customers and uh, he really had the front of the house and you know he was the kind of guy that could he would uh, see a customer drive up to a restaurant, and before they'd even sit down the table, he would have the drink waiting for him and the appetizer because that's the kind of guy Tom was. It was always amazing to see that. And and then my dad was kind of the ringleader of everything. He was the kind of the boss, making sure that you know the chefs were in line and everything was clean, and kind of you know walking around making sure everything was to the top quality it should be. So it was it was a it was a neat team to grow up with and watch and see. You know, they all did their their purposes so well, and they did such a good job. And it was really a it really influenced me to do always do the best I could in all three of those positions. Yeah, I always liked that restaurant. It was my one of my parents, or, um, my parents, one of their favorite restaurants for sure. Awesome. And uh, I actually met you about eight years ago, and I know you don't know the story from uh, Susan, who owns Liberty Bay Books, and she took me over there um, to have some wine with you mm-hmm. and her daughter, and then uh, my parents came in, and then my wife had just. Um, come over here and we had an infant and shook your hand, said hi, um, told you that my parents love this restaurant. And then my um, baby threw up milk all over your floor. (laughs) (laughs) And just to tell you, um, you were way cool about it at the time. (laughs) And that that was only one of two times the kid ever threw up. And it was all over my wife and all over your restaurant. And (laughs) it was horrible. But yeah, I, I like that um, wine selection at that restaurant, and um, the food's always good there. It's uh, it's been an honor to be a part of it, and it's been an honor to be a part of the Pizza Parlor too. It was a uh, to me working at the Pizza Parlor isn't really always been about me. It's uh, it's been about it. It's been about the starter. You know, it's the culture of this culture. The more you feed into it, and the harder you take care of it, and do the best you can with it it would always do well and take care of me also. So never, you know, it was always about what's best for the restaurant. And, you know, all three of those guys kind of taught me that and I saw that. And to be able to know how to nurture a restaurant, you know, if the numbers, you know, your labor's too high, you need to watch it. Your, your food costs are, you know, too high, you need to watch it. And, and these days, you know, if your food, if your labor cost is too low, you got to watch it. You know, it's, you got to make sure you take care of your customers. It's not always about getting the bare minimum out of things. You, you got to be able to, you know, make sure your customers leave happy. Absolutely. How many um, employees do you think you've employed over over the 33 years? (laughs) Thousands. We used to have, uh, let's see it. So we had That's Some Pizza in Kingston. That's Some Pizza in Bainbridge. We had That's Some Italian in Bainbridge. That's Some Italian in Paulsbo. And we had Pizza Man Pizza in Kingston. So, and then we've had... uh, Penelope's on the islands, and I did a, a Dino's Pizzeria in Port Ludlow. And then we did a That's a Some Italian in Bremerton. Damn. And so, uh, and then uh, the two that, uh, one of the, and we had a, a, a concept, Tex Mex concept called Buzzies. We had one on Bainbridge Island, we had one in, uh, in Paulsville also. So at, at some points, you know, I think it, my dad and mom and dad had five restaurants. So my dad would have to drive around all around the county to these different restaurants. It was kind of a, it's actually, it was kind of a nightmare. It's kind of crazy because, you know, you can't, 
you can do one thing really well and trying to do five really well and you know hire the correct people to do it. You know, this is the late 80s, early 90s. There wasn't really the spec for food culture that it really isn't around now, too. So it was a, it was hard for them. And then the amount of employees is just, you know, it's been thousands. And you know, just even just the pizzeria on the island being here for 34 years almost, is, that's, it's a lot of people. And I keep, you know, I keep as well staffed now, too. For our 500-square-foot restaurant, we have 25 employees, so... Yeah, you guys are elbowing each other in the kitchen all day long. I noticed that. <laughs> my uh, my biggest dream in life is having a bigger kitchen. So who knows? Maybe with this win, uh, we might uh, try to work on something like that. We'll see. Nice. How did you um, decide to take Alan to this pizza competition? Well, uh, this whole pizza competition was kind of crazy. I, uh, I like I said I, in July, I decided to become a uh, registered pizziolo. So I looked online. Actually, it was before July. So that, and like I becoming found, an online reverend, or, or uh, is there something similar, more to it? It is a little bit more to it, you know. Being, you know, being a chef since I was, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old, being a pizziolo like I already was, I would kind of want to get some kind of certification. When I was eighteen, nineteen, you know, the Art Institute of Seattle wanted me to come and you know go to their culinary program. Well, the problem with that was it wasn't accredited, and I could probably teach them more than they knew at that point. So I really never got accredited with anything. So it was important to me, especially since I had taken over ownership of the pizza parlor five years ago, I wanted to kind of step up my game. You know, my, my parents had done so much with it. What could I do to kind of take it to that next level? And for me, that was becoming a registered pizziolo. So I looked online, and the closest one was in San Francisco, being run by Tony Gemignani. And he is he, he is Mr. Pizza. He's He's been my pizza idol since I was 20 years old. He's uh, changed the game. He took... Uh, the idea of pizziolos from guys working at Shakey's to... Uh, I was just at a Shakey's last weekend. <laughs> I didn't know they still existed. Yeah, no, they, they're, it's kind of crazy how long they've been around for. And he was the first American to ever win an Italian uh, you know, pizza prize, an Italian cup over there. It was such an upset that the security had to take him from the winning ceremony to and escort him to his hotel because of the death threats because it was the first American coming in the middle of Mafia Pizza Land to steal their award like that. And he is, you know, the most award-winning pizziola that's ever lived. And it was just an amazing honor to be able to go work with them. You know, after, like I said, knowing about him since I was 18, 19 years old, you know, being my idol since I was 20 from all the, like, the, he's got like 10, 11, 12 different, you know, awards for his pizzas. He has 17 restaurants and... He's, he was judging all these different pizza competitions. So it was uh, it, just the idea that I got to go work in Tony Gemignani's kitchen. It just blew me away, and I, I jumped all over it now. And I got to be a registered pizziolo. So. No, I totally get it. Uh, chefs are rock stars nowadays. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, don't ever go on Food Network, though. They they work <laughs> you to death. <laughs> That's what I hear. I've, I've talked to a few of the guys. They uh, they definitely, they're, they're constantly on the move, to say the least. Yeah, Bobby Flake gets a contract with Food Network, but he didn't know he had to have 12 shows per day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I get it. You, you learn so easy from masters. Absolutely. They, they have all the tricks, all the traits. Mm -hmm. They have a great way of teaching other people. And uh, it's pretty awesome. So is there a debate where pizza originated from? Is it truly from Italy? Or well, they, it was uh, – I've actually heard several different theories on it. Um, you know, the biggest one being that uh, there was a, it was a peasant food and it was a flatbread with crushed tomatoes over the top. And uh, uh, the 
king and queen of Italy at the time, the princess Marguerite, wanted to try some. So they had the local baker, Pizziolo, bring up his pizzas, and he, he named it after her, and he styled it after the Italian flag. The white mozzarella, the red the tomato sauce, and the green basil on top. And so they called it the, uh, the Margarita pizza. Still one of my favorites. Yeah, and that's the original pizza. That is one of the theories. There's other theories, too, around that same time, you know. And I've actually just read an article about this in, in Spain. They were doing a lot of these same kind of same kind of breads. And at that time in the past, there were a lot of Spanish people that were going back and forth to Italy also, like we had our discussion. If you speak Italian, you speak you know, Spanish also. So there's definitely a lot to, you know, what, you know— what peasants were making this food back then. And in my point of view, I don't think it really matters. I think, you know, there's nothing more American than pizza now. And we've really taken it and embraced it. And there's no greater medium to have different foods. You know, you can do Indian food on pizza. You can do Chinese food on pizza. What's the worst thing you've seen on a pizza? The worst thing I've seen on pizza? Well, there's no such thing as bad pizza. It's Pizza's... Kind Strawberries like, on pizza? You okay, you okay uh, with that? In a dessert one, it's done well. I'm, 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 I'm an avid pizza fan. And you'll probably edit this out later, but to me, pizza's kind of like sex. When it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's still pretty good. Yeah, I've heard that analogy <laughs> all through college. <laughs> but uh, you know, coming back to competing and, and why I got out there, when, when I took this class with Tony – the first thing he said to me is, are you competing? I said, well, no, I've never competed before. He said, you know, you got to compete. You need to get out there. You need to show the world what you've got and what you know. And when Tony Gimignani tells you to jump, you say how high. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> And then also when I was there, it was such a neat experience because not only was it Tony Gimignani, but it was – you know, in his school and his chefs and his, his Laura Meyer, which is his number one, and just she's amazing. This young girl is that uh, – when the – 20 under 20 in San Francisco. I mean, she runs his Tony Napolina's restaurant there, and it's one of the busiest restaurants in San Francisco. This girl is amazing, and she was one of my instructors also. But uh, so the idea that we need to get out there and, you know, share what we know, and, uh, you know, I did it. And uh, being there with them, with that situation, but uh, I mean, early, and I talked to him about it. It was pretty neat. He took me out to this amazing little coffee diner, and it was – you know, where, uh, where the script to uh, The Godfather was written and stuff like that. This really neat mecca place. And here's my idol, you know, my mentor taking me here. And we're talking about dough and dough recipes and stuff. And he really, you know, it was neat for me to see all I knew from my years of experience being a chef and being a pizziolo. And what I had naturally come to know. And then he had all the scientific scientific reasons why I knew that and why these things worked. It was It, it was a moment for me to become, you know, a pizza guy to a pizza scientist, a pizziolo. And then that time with him, he really pushed me to push my dough to, you know, on the, the boundaries of what I knew I could do with it. And uh, if he hadn't done that with me, if I didn't spend that time and had that coffee with him, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, the one of the best pizziolos in the nation with the, one, the best pizzeria in the nation right now. And, and a lot of that had to do with him. You know, obviously this 120-year-old starter didn't, you know, didn't hurt at all, but uh, it, it, his leadership and his mentorship for me really meant a lot to me. It was neat to be able to take what he showed me and then be able to come up with what I came with. It was He was definitely one of my biggest fans at the competition, too. It was neat. And when your mentor and idol is, is cheering and screaming for you in the background. and be awesome. It's pretty cool. So um, what kind of things have 
come out of this competition for you? What's ahead? Well, next, uh, well, right now it's, it is kind of what's always been. It's, uh, it's uh, doing what we do, making pizzas, you know, taking care of the customer, making sure uh, we're still doing the best pizza and doing the best quality work we can do. It's uh, it's been important, you know. When I went to this competition, I had you know I, I didn't go expecting to win, and I just I wanted to learn. You know, Tony had said go, check it out and see what you can do. So that's what I wanted to do is learn everything I could. So I went really relaxed and enjoying myself and. And then I won. I just it doesn't happen. It's my first time competing in you know anything, let alone you know on a national level like this. And uh, it's been fun to, the recognition from you know other pizzaiolos and uh, you know the pizza magazines have been really really supportive. Uh, pizza Marketing Quarterly is coming out on Sunday to do uh, to talk to me a little bit. Uh, pizza Today, which you know throws all this pizza. Uh, Expo and through this pizza and pasta show, they've been un- unbelievable. Also, just uh, the opportunities they give Pizziolo like me to you know to reach these kind of heights are amazing. And and so I'm going to be doing some stuff with them. They have a uh, have a new competition that they're going to be doing on uh, the next Pizza Expo. It's uh, uh, the entrepreneurs under forty, the best new entrepreneurs under forty kind of contest. So I'm going to be video making a video about myself and the pizzeria and then sending it in and they'll decide if, you know, I think out of three or five people that will come and actually speak at the Pizza Expo and then everyone at the Expo will vote on who they think is the next, you know, the next, uh, you know, best entrepreneur under 40. And so I'm really excited to be a part of that and just to go to the Pizza Expo again, you know, this the whole idea of this Caputo Cup was to get ready for the Pizza Expo. Well, I go to the Caputo Cup. I was like, "Oh, you can retire now. You won the national championship." It's like, "Well, I, I, I kind of want to keep pushing myself. I yeah, want to push myself." Just get started. Exactly. So, we're going to get over there, and I'm going to be closing down for a few days in March, and I'm going to be taking all my management, and we're going to be uh, doing our best just to kind of show the world what uh, our pizza is, and really, I, I'm kind of on a quest to to make you know there's new york thin crust pizza there's chicago deep dish pizza there's detroit you know cheese crust pizza there's california you know barbecue chicken and crazy toppings pizza i want pacific northwest to be sourdough pizza so that's kind of my goal and what i'm trying to get across and 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 build with other restaurateurs in the area and kind of to make our own region because the whole idea of the sourdough and the klondike rush gold rush comes through seattle and through here and it's a big part of who we are you know we are like old sourdoughs, you know. We're uh, we're salty. We we like what we like, and we do what we do, and we do it well. And it, there's an art to it. I think it's fun to share that with the world. That uh, you know, Seattle gets snuffed in food so many times. I, I think it'd be great to kind of you know bring the whole Pacific Northwest to the to the forefront with our own style of pizza like this. Yeah, I think the the food industry out here is is awesome right now. It's really coming along, and and Portland too with the food truck culture and. Um, Pizza's good out here, and you you see the mod pizza, and there's multiple franchises. Have you thought about franchising or expanding at all? You know, it's uh, it's it's always kind of in the back there. I have you no, know, I think uh, three or four of, uh, if not, I'd say probably like five or six of one of the local chains. There, uh, they started as that's to some people, and then they left because we haven't grown with them in that. And that's actually one of my motivations for my management staff is, if you work with me long enough, I will open up a restaurant with you. And that's kind of you know to really inspire passion. Like you say, there's not a, there's not a hand, not a lot of hands on jobs for people, and uh, 
with the new millennial workforce, you know, everyone, especially the pizza industry, is always complaining, oh, millennials this, millennials that. Well, I'm at the tail end of the millennials. I'm actually considered one. It's kind of funny. But uh, it's just the idea that just, they just need the right leadership. You know, they, they're, they're willing to prove whatever they can to you. You just got to be able to communicate them what you want from them. And that's, you know, that's what everyone needs, you know, is good communication. And, and motivation. Absolutely. And it's been nice with this, you know, the biggest thing I've gotten out of this award has really been you know, to motivate my staff and see them, not just me so proud, but them so proud about what they do. And it, it's hard to inspire, you know. And that's why West Coast really hasn't won a lot of pizza, you know, championships. You know, I'm the first person in Pacific Northwest to bring home the Caputo Cup because, you know, the pizza culture isn't here. You go to New York, there's literally a pizzeria every corner, every block. Yep. I, I uh, For a while, I ran a restaurant in in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and this place was the same size as Bainbridge Island, and they had 25 pizzerias. I mean, it was just ridiculous. You know, here on Bainbridge Island, we have five places that make pizza, two deliver. It's it's a definitely, it's not because people don't appreciate it, just they don't know about it. They haven't been experienced it. And, and that's the kind of fun thing about That's a Sun Pizza, too. We've been here so long. People just take it for granted. This is what pizza is. They don't realize that, you know, our pizza is different from everyone else's. Yeah, there's so many options now, gluten-free, thin crust, mm-hmm. the deep dish, fruit, vegetables, multiple cheese, white yeah. pizza, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. What's the key to your recipes? Um, well, it's it's that 120-year-old sourdough starter. It's uh, definitely it's the, it's the foundation of who we are. It's you know, the, the culture of culture, I, I call it. It's uh, I, I like to try to feed my business and my career the same way I feed uh, my, uh, my starter. And it, it all starts with the care. And, uh, you know, a starter will die in too cold. It can overproof in too much heat. So you're all constantly keeping an eye on it, making sure it's alive, making sure, you know, it's been fed. And there's recipes to, and, you know, and processes in place to really take care of it. So it's definitely that 120-year-old starter is you know, the big part of it. And like I said, not just of my recipes, but who I am as a restaurateur. You're doing some stuff with that starter, aren't you? Yeah, we've been uh, uh, lately. Now, well, we we made it a lot wetter dough, so it's uh, it's been you know it's been great. I came back from my California and I added a little more water, and it's uh, it makes it a whole new beast. We, we went from basically making a uh, a bagel, same hydration as a bagel pizza, to going to the same hydration as a French loaf. Just that in itself, what I learned with Tony was pretty amazing. And then also we've been working on double-proof pizzas, doing Sicilian style. So in the next, actually, in the next few weeks, we're going to be adding Sicilian uh, uh, crust to our menu. There will only be, a, I think, 10 to 15. At first, I think 10 pizzas a day we'll be able to do of it because it's actually a triple uh, fermentation process, right? We make the dough. We let it ferment for three days. And then we bring the dough out to let it ferment for an hour and then stretch it out, ferment another hour, stretch it out, ferment for an hour, and do a final bake fermentation. So. It's a really a, a, a time staking, a time, a big long process, but it's uh, it's it makes some really really good pizza, makes some really good pan pizzas. I'm hungry. Are you guys hungry? <laughs> hey, let's take a quick break here and thank our sponsors and come back with the fast five. Eagle Harbor Insurance, Thomas Sawyer, independent broker and owner of Eagle Harbor Insurance, works for you, not the insurance carrier. One stop shopping for all your insurance needs. Thomas and Eagle Harbor Insurance provides portfolio service, home, auto, umbrella, health, life, business, and travel insurance. Located locally on the waterfront at 175 Parfit Way Southeast. 
Call 206-842-7410 or visit them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Fast five, fast five, fast five, fast five, fast five, fast five. All right, Will, I got a segment here called the Fast Five. I'm going to ask you five questions real fast. You're going to answer them even faster. (laughs) You ready for this? Ready. What's your biggest fear? Biggest fear would definitely be... I don't know. Fear is uh, not getting a school order on time. That's my biggest fear. Feeding 300 kids and not getting uh, pizza to them on time so they can eat their pizza. That's always my biggest fear. (laughs) Yeah, you do fundraisers, right? (laughs) We do a lot of fundraisers. We do uh, mainly for uh, class takeovers to kind of give them uh, opportunity to do promotions and then give them... uh, most of the profits so they can, you know, do their proms and stuff like that. But we do a lot of big school orders also. We, you know, we've been uh, working with Hyla for 15 years now. We've been working with the Island School for at least 10 and St. Cecilia's for about four or five years as well. So it's definitely, it's... You used to get pizza at Ordway Bingo. Yep. Yeah, we did uh, Ordway also. My daughter is an Ordway otter. So... Uh, Shout out to otters. Go otters. And I say Ordway, you say Otters. Otters. If you had to pick any character in a book, movie, or TV show, who is the most similar to you and why? Most similar to me? I don't know. For, it's been a while since I've read a good book, but uh, huh, I would have to say um, I don't know. I never really thought of it, that kind of question like that. Um, it's the closest person to me like that. I don't know why I want to go. I want to see. Uh, I'm a big Outsiders fan since I was a kid. I always liked Pony Boy and his way and his ideas about uh, uh, what it is to live free and how to live free and you know and how to uh, uh, to cope with life and uh, how to get through it with your friends and depend on the people that mean a lot to you. So, well, Will, I think it's time to dye your hair and stay golden, Pony Boy. Right. <laughs> What's your biggest regret in life? My biggest regret in life, well, being a restaurateur, there's always a lot. It's, gosh, I would have wished I opened up a restaurant there, or I would have followed my dream over there. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's that. And it's, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, you always got to tell your family you love them. You know, you don't know how long you have them around. And, you know, we've lost people in in my life and that... uh, they're not around anymore. That'd be fun to see this kind of stuff like that. And just, you know, letting all the people you, you, that you love know you love them is definitely important. For... I agree, 100%. Um, when you were growing up, was it was your dream job always to, to cook? Or did you have aspirations of playing in the NBA or being a great writer or something different? No, it's always been cooking for me. I've always uh, enjoyed being in the kitchen. For me, it, it, it was my escape from life, you know, and things got hard at school or at home, you know, you can always cook, you know. There's always that control there that, you know, you can you can cook that perfect pizza, you can saute that chicken perfectly, you can make that pasta perfectly al dente, you know, and it's, it's uh, I've always loved cooking and being in the service industry, being able to I'm really honored that I've been able to be in a position where people come to me to ask me for my food and I get to give it to them and they smile about it. I don't have to go and sell someone something. Not that sales are bad at all. It's just people have come to me for my cooking and it's been a source of pride for me. And it's just always, you know, like I said, I, I since I was, 
you know, eight years old, I've been, you know, working in the restaurants. I just always loved it. And so it sounds like it's still true that you're still living your dream job. Absolutely. That's awesome. So I'm going to throw one more out there. All right. Um, if you had one superpower, what would it be? Um, to travel in time. I think it would be really cool to see different cultures and to see what was here first, what was here after, and to be so able you, to see moments in time. You'd go back and forward. Absolutely, yeah. See what's happened in the past, see what really happened in the past, and see where things lead in the future. I'm scared of the future. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> awesome. That was the Fast Five. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Hey, tell me a little bit more about what this pizza competition consisted of. At what time did you wake up? Did you have to bring your own food? Um, how long did it last? How many pizzas did you actually cook? So it was, uh, like I said, Tony said jump, and I said how high. So the the, the closest competition we had or was here in uh, in or here there in New Jersey, and that was the you know I could wait till March. Or I could go to this one now, and I figured if you're going to do it, you know, you do it now. Like Yoda says, there do or do not. There is no try. So we we immediately wanted to go forward and do it. It was hard because I had lost my manager of three years, so I actually canceled about a month ago. And then I uh, went through, got back more into the pizza parlor, get my managers trained up. And then I decided to take another manager I'd recently promoted and take him in his stead. And they were excited to go. We were planning and ready to go. And uh, a week before we left, uh, our mixer blew up in the pizzeria. So I canceled. I actually almost didn't go to the go to the show. I had uh, I had to make 400 pounds of dough a day at our uh, that's some Italian impalzo. I had to shred all the cheese myself. I had to find a new mixer, and I say new very generically because it's new to us. I think the mixer we have now is about 10 years older than the 20 year old mixer we had in there. Those things aren't cheap either. No, they are not. It was a nice seven thousand dollars to to find someone to drop it off and cut a hole in the back of the pizzeria to put it. In in and take Ouch. the other one out. It was, uh, it was quite a debacle. And then, you know, four days into that, I was like, I can't do it. I can't, you know, this is too much. I need to stick around to be here for the pizzeria. And uh, it took me a day or two to cool off and realize that, you know, I, what I built here and the team that I built here was more than capable of taking care of things. And I, I needed to do this for myself. Like, you know, Tony had said, you know, I'm at the point where if I want to further anything, I needed to go to this, go check this out. So I... It, it came back on. We we uncanceled it and uh, we booked our tickets. It was uh, it was fun to take uh, Alan Raymond with me. He was really uh, enthusiastic. He'd never been to the East Coast before, and uh, my mom was going to come along because for a while there we thought it was just going to be me. When you know, in between these canceling and decide to go, canceling, deciding to go. So it was fun to have my mom there with me as well. And my wife's family is from uh, in New Jersey, and uh, we. We spend a lot of time out there over the summer. So I'd been there before. I'd been to Philadelphia where we had to fly in. I, I've driven to Atlantic City before. So it was really fun to bring you know, Marty and Alan there and it, it let them experience you know, downtown Philadelphia and you know, have them try coal-fired pizza there. And What is know, that? Well, that's actually one of the original styles of pizza is coal-fired pizza, and that's how they would used to do old bakeries. They would have a, a whole separate kind of uh, entrance for an oven that was just where they would feed coal, and that's it's more of a residual heat. It's more of an even heat, like electric heat. So it, it gives a very unique taste and flavor to pizzas over there, and they do a little bit of a thinner crust, and it, it's really good pizza. And I had been to a few pizza places in Philly there because – I'm, I'm I'm always about pizza, and it was fun to be able to share that with them and take the trip down to Atlantic City. 
we get to the competition and you know I had picked my gorgonzola vegetarian pizza I'd made five years ago mainly because it was my pizza of all the pizzas we have at the restaurant it was my recipe I had made and I had uh, put on there so uh it was neat to be able to bring that and kind of represent what I had put on the menu. What yeah. kind of vegetables are on that pizza? So that pizza is uh, uses our uh, gorgonzola dressing that we make ourselves as a base. And then we use mushrooms, pine nuts, red onions, and garlic. And then I have a little technique I use differently than most people. Is a lot of people put feta on before you cook a pizza. I actually put it on after you cook a pizza. When feta bakes, it dries out, the moisture escapes, so it's kind of crunchy. But when you put it over the residual heat of these 530-degree pizzas, watch you melt it down, so it's a lot creamier, almost like a goat cheese. So it's really got an amazing texture, and it really adds a lot of flavor to it. So we, uh, we to fly out there, we had to pack up everything in a cooler and, and get ice packs. Luckily, the guys at TNC gave me some extra ice packs they had laying around, so I was able to stock up my cooler. And we each one of us, both Alan and I, had to make two one pizza. But I brought two dough balls each, you know, and extra toppings, extra dressing, just in case something went south. We'd at least have a backup. That's one thing I've learned in the restaurant business: you always have to have a backup. If you don't have a backup, you know things are going to go bad. So we flew out and. And actually, when we got to Lank City, we put everything in the the cooler they had in the room there. Well, two of the dough balls actually froze in the room because they always keep those things on the coldest they can. And they were stuck next to the hole for the condenser. So luckily, those froze and everything else stayed kept from freezing. So, And then it ended up, they uh, they thought out it was an issue, but we didn't. I didn't use those dough balls. But so we had to haul this cooler full of food over to the East Coast. I'd never really done that before. And uh, How do you get that through TSA? You just uh, wrap it in tape and say it's uh, perishable and check it in with your luggage. And they take care of the rest down below. So... It really wasn't that big of a deal. You just kind of make sure you're following the parameters that Alaska and TSA has for foods. And because I, I have family in Alaska, and I spend a lot of time fishing and hunting up there and sending, uh, you know, fish and pelts back down. It's you know something that's pretty normal to do. So once I kind of realized that's what I needed to do, I did it. And it was different for us with our dough as well because we do this 72-hour fermentation. Our dough, I couldn't go there and make our dough and have it ferment in the right amount of time to actually use it. So I actually had to make it Saturday night, and then we flew with it, and then we used it on Tuesday. So it was Crazy. Yeah, it was kind of nuts. So we uh, got to Philly, picked up our uh, cooler, and uh, drove down Atlantic City. And uh, we check in with... Uh, with you know all these chefs there and it's just it was amazing all the pizza guys they were so friendly and so nice it was just unbelievable you know and tony was there he came up and said hi and there were guys that i've been you know i've really tried to do a lot of instagram and facebook stuff so a lot of these guys i'd met over you know online they running up to me saying hi and you know these italian guys they just love the fact that i brought my mom there and it was neat to really share you know this 120 year old sour starter which is totally new to the world of pizza you know pizza you know uses some pool issues and stuff like that but nothing as old as that i mean the the, the star we have is very very unique so it's fun for them to meet me and then find out the story about my mom opening it when i was six years old and she was there too and you know I, there couldn't have been a warmer reception than there was at this uh, festival there and it, went, and it was it was really neat to meet all these guys and so the day of uh we uh, we gave us a fancy little outfits. We had a shirt and we had a, a handkerchief we had to wear around our necks and hats and aprons and 
we uh, uh, got to, they have a kitchen kind of set up. They had five different ovens, your choice of, you know, what kind of style of pizza you do. They had uh, two gas ovens, they had two wood-fired ovens, and then they had an electric oven. And the pizza oven everyone was using was this gas oven, but it was brand new. Usually when you're in these kind of competitions, you want to use, you know, a seasoned oven. You don't want to have some brand new oven. Well, it was kind of a nightmare. They had it set at 550 degrees and it was cooking at 600, 625 degrees. So not right calibrated, before, huh? No, not at all. I mean, with a new oven, that kind of happens. You know, it's got to wear itself in. It's got to, you know, got to learn where the hot spots are and everything. So we were, we stuck to the performance stage. We didn't go anywhere the whole day. You know, we got there about 930 in the morning and I performed at 230 and then Alan performed at uh, 440. So we stuck by the stage. We saw, we saw everyone compete and it was so overwhelming too because here i am doing non-traditional thinking oh i'll just do this pizza and and, and alan can do traditional well my non-traditional there was laura meyer from uh, tony's pizzeria there was glenn cybulski there's carmine testa i mean these are the pizza super guys i mean it's like oh great i mean i should have maybe done something else i'd have a better chance than you know competing with these guys I and mean, these guys are the creme de la creme these are the best in the business and it was a uh, it was kind of crazy. It was like, oh, and then, and then, you know, the whole time I kind of had the concept of it didn't matter. I was just there to learn. I wanted to have a good time. I want to learn as much as I could, you know, for the next performance. So I was really laid back and really positive with everyone, you know, especially because they were so welcoming to me and my family. So, you know, I obviously really tried to be as welcoming and, you know, and, and uh, you know, supportive to everyone else there, too. So it was a really fun, positive experience. We, we hung out all day and cheered on the other pizziolos cooking their pizzas and you know, watched kind of the tricks that people were doing with the ovens or just seeing which one was cooking which way. And finally came up time to do our pizzas, or at least my pizza. And uh, uh, we got ready to go, and I, I pulled out my dough. Well, I've never really put our dough in a Ziploc bag and let it proof for 72 hours before. So it was stuck to this Ziploc bag. So I had to basically take a razor blade, cut the, the, the bag in half, and I had to slowly peel it off. Well, we only had 20 minutes. Five minutes of that was just getting the dough ball out of the plastic. Then I made the pizza, and then uh, I... With our new recipe, or new, I guess I should say it's a new recipe. It's more of a adjusted recipe with a little bit more water. Our dough is a lot more wet, a lot, you know, not as stiff as it used to be. So I started throwing it in the air a little bit. We remembered, oh, wait, we don't throw it anymore. It stretches it too big. So the, then I made the pizza a little bit too big for the screen. And that was kind of scary. So I'm trying to kind of fold it back on there and try to slap it down to get it, you know, to get back to what it was. And so I put it in the oven and one of the edges caught on the bottom of the screen. So it took me five minutes just to get the stupid dough ball out of the bag. And then we cook, you get to cook time. And now the screen is stuck on the bottom of the pizza. Well, you know, usually in the pizzeria, we can just pull out the whole pie and the screen will just kind of fall off and not break about the and break off the crust. But that's about 90% of the time. And the other 10% of the time, we can actually rip off the whole half the pizza. And I knew with my Murphy's Law that if I had tried just pulling it out, it would rip it off. So the last five minutes of the cook time of my pizza were actually just me working with two pizza peels, trying to slowly get this 530 degree pizza off the screen to get it so I could put the feta cheese on it to send it back to the uh, to the judges so it was uh it was kind of a, i literally i think I, I finished it like 19 minutes and 55 seconds i mean it was to the last second and i was i was a little stressed and it was so funny because like i said i was really relaxed i was enjoying myself really positive 
the second I gave the judges took my pizza and I gave them the pizza, I started freaking out. I was like, oh wait, now they're gonna judge what I'm doing. And you know, I, I spent my whole life throwing pizzas in front of you know our loving customers. That that's some pizza. People watching me eat pizza. That was easy. The hard part was the idea that these this panel of celebrity chefs was going to come and and rate my pizza. You know, Peter Reinhardt. You know, he's gotten four James Beard awards for his baking books. You know, wow. Tony Gemignani was doing the Neapolitan division. Uh, they had uh, yeah, just these. You know, the, the owner of Tutabella's in Seattle. You know, these 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 are the big guys, and they were judging my pizza. So it kind of freaked me out a little bit at that point. And uh, how many how many pizzas do you make a day? Uh, it really depends on the day. Like Friday, we'll probably make, I'd say, five to six hundred, depending on the busy Friday. You know, on a regular day, maybe a hundred, two hundred. And you go to this competition, and all you got to do is make one pizza. One pizza, yeah. And you're freaking out. Yeah, is it funny? <laughs> well, a lot of people really were too, and it's kind of funny. My mom was helpful that way. She's like, "Why are you guys stressed out? You guys make pizzas all day. It's just one pizza." Everyone's like. Good point. <laughs> it's hard to get that paradigm shift in your mind. It is. And it was so fun to bring Alan there because, you know, like I said, he'd never been to the East Coast. He'd never seen, you know, the East Coast, let alone a, he's never been to a pizza convention before. So it was fun to take him there. And he was just so positive and energetic. And, both, you know, I'm, I'm big about auras and positivity in kitchens. If you have a negative kitchen, you're going to have a bad pizza. People are having a bad experience. If you're positive and you're in a kitchen, people are going to be having a good time and enjoy the food. And you're going to have good food. So... Definitely our emotions really played into a lot of it and because I was so positive about my performance and the whole being there and being supportive of everyone, everyone being supportive of us, he was able to do such a good job too. And, you know, he saw me make my dough, pull my dough out. So he immediately got his dough ball out, you know, with no problems. Mm -hmm. And so then he made his pizza. He did a pepperoni onion and uh, he did a really good job. I was really proud of him. He uh, he didn't, uh, there was no... No hiccups in his. I mean, I had more problems with my pizza than he had with his. Yeah, his name's not on the door, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, and he he ended up getting second place in traditional. So it, it was it was Pretty really awesome, yeah. It was uh, it was amazing, and he's just his hard work and his compassion, you know, really showed through. And then also our our dough really showed, really sung through in this competition. We were the only pizzeria to place in two of the four events, and I got first in my non traditional, and he got second in traditional. And yeah, uh, like that sourdough starter. Yeah, it's uh, it's like I said, it's something we've been doing for thirty four years, but it's something kind of newer to the pizza world also. So. It was a, a really fun experience, and just that the fact that uh, we got to, you know, this stuff doesn't happen. You don't just go for the first time you compete and you win a national. Sure, you, do. you just proved it. Yeah, I, I guess it does. I don't know. Just not my. I never even competed for anything before. I think my last award was a, a best tackler in soccer when I was like eight years old in soccer camp with the Sky Kings at Battle Point Park. So love it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun, and then just. Uh, to be there and really be enter this upper echelon of these these pizziolos to be recognized as one of the best in the nation and in my pizzeria they've put my heart and soul my whole family's put our heart and soul into for 34 years to see it really appreciated for what it is is really it's 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 been an amazing experience to say the least and and the future is wide open for us now and uh, it's it's amazing it's been a lot of fun I'm happy for you Will thank you thank you very much. What kind of activities do you like to do with your family here on the island? Well, uh, 
I am a dance dad with my daughter. She uh, uh, does dance a dad. <laughs> hashtag dance dad, right? Uh, she's uh, uh, doing the Nutcracker. Uh, you know, everything I really do is uh, is for my family and is for my daughter. And any way I can help her be a be a, a strong, independent young woman is is amazing. So she's five years old, and she's uh, practicing for the Nutcracker with In Motion and Paulsbo. And you know, every Saturday we spend about three to four hours and with her and her training out there. And so we do a lot of that, and uh, we. Uh, you know, my life is really a lot about the pizzeria. There's a lot of being a restaurant owner. You're always on call. You know, people think, "Oh, it's so luxurious. You can have days off whenever you want." It's like, well, yeah, until the shop needs me, and then I need to be there in 15 minutes. So, you know, I've had situations where uh, you know the the mixer broke down, so I was the one that had to take you know all the all the ingredients to Paulsbo, make all the dough, and bring it back down. I've had situations on a Friday morning, our oven breaks. And so I have to crawl underneath the oven and change out gears to make sure it works, you know, 45 minutes before we open when we have two or three school orders for, you know, feeding 300 kids. So I bet you, you know, everything about every device in your shop. I am. A, if I ever got out of the pizza business, I could be a professional refrigerator repairman and a, a Rotoflex oven repairman. It's uh, like I said, I have two of everything because <laughs> it, it happens. Smart. Hey, um, before we get out of here, what, what do you got coming up next? Anything, any grand plans other than keeping your nose to the grindstone and doing some of that stuff that you talked well, about? Well, the, the Pizza Expo is probably the biggest next step for us. Now we've kind of been uh, received in the pizza world, and now it's kind of time for us to show the pizza world kind of what, what we got going. That's and in March? and It's in March. I think it's the 19th through the 22nd. So we're actually going to be— Where's that located? It's in Las Vegas. So it's always a lot of fun to go see a show. And Adam, you're going to Vegas. <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're taking uh, the whole management crew. It's the first time we've closed down for four days with a, for a non-emergency in 34 years. My dad raised me. And he said, I "Always say, Willie, you get charged rent seven days a week. You're going to be open seven days a week." So I, I'm breaking this old golden rule, and we're gonna we're gonna come and compete over there and do the best we can to share what we can. That's an awesome saying. And it's uh, and it was fun. It's it's been a really neat you know. The, the first time I met this, the sourdough starters when I was five years old and we were opening our first pizzeria in Kingston. And uh, my parents had been working on a, a weekly pizza competitions with their friend Phil Hausman. And uh, that's where we got the sourdough starter from. He had this from his grandfather, great-grandfather, had this sourdough starter when he moved up from California. And so they came with this amazing recipe and uh, they know that's where it came from. But to uh, really do the amount of dough we had to do, they had to build up the starter. You have to, you know, use that culture and keep adding flour and water, outer and flour, adding flour and water until it was this giant starter. So after we did that home, we had to transport it to the pizza parlor that we were opening the next day. So they had filled up this giant 32-gallon trash can full of the starter, and they had put it in the back of their pickup truck. You got to remember, this is the 80s. It's a lot different than now. Then my job as the five-year-old was to sit in the back of this pickup truck and make sure that this sourdough started and spill out everywhere because this is the livelihood of a restaurant. Well, it was, you know, late July, early August. It was hot out. They had just fed this, you know, you know 90 to 100-year-old starter all this food. Well, and the heat activates yeast. It activates, activates the starter. 
So the lid blew off the top of this garbage can and it started pouring down the sides of this can. So me as a five-year-old, my one job is to make sure it doesn't hit the floor. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm taking this starter and I'm flipping it back on itself, trying to keep it from touching the ground, just literally having a little panic attack, thinking I'm going to you know, fail at the one job I have with the new pizzeria and everything's going to be ruined. And I remember looking to the front of the truck because I was in the, you know, in the bed with this truck and everyone is just hysterically laughing at me because here is this five-year-old throwing the starter everywhere. They said, don't worry, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And it was, it's been interesting for since that moment in my life, I've been the caretaker for this sourdough starter. And then with that same starter I met when I was five years old is that's, that's who I went and I won this pizza championship with, you know. 35 years later that's amazing 34 years later so it's it's been it's been a really cool ride and it's uh it's fun the culture of culture is what i'm all about now and it's 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 amazing through my whole life it's it's been about that sourdough and, and my relationship with it awesome story will thank you well thanks for coming on to the bystander podcast today that's a sum.com order your pizza now I appreciate you being a sponsor of the show, and I look forward to eating many more pies with you. Thanks, Will. Thank you.